Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus, who is everything. Dear Christian friends, this morning we are wrapping up our our study, our look at the book of Colossians. And this book was actually originally a letter that a man named Paul, that God used Paul to write this to some Christians writing in a city named Colossae. And he, he wanted to impress upon them to show them very, very clearly that Jesus is everything. And so he does that over and over and over again throughout the book of Colossians. He does so by, by laying out beautifully how the gospel, that good news that Jesus has done everything to save me, how that changes my heart, it brings me to faith, it, it impacts my, my life. That gospel then is, is God working in us to change our lives. We saw how, how God does that, how he, he makes us his own, how he impacts us, how he makes us whole. And today then we see how all of that changes, it impacts, it affects the way that we live, our thoughts, our words, our actions. See, the Apostle Paul, he, he emphasizes that Jesus is everything throughout this book over and over and over and over and over again because he was writing to a group of Christians who lived in an area, who lived in a city where there was this other teaching that was actively being spread around town that Jesus isn't everything. That, that there's a little more that that you need to know. Like, Jesus is good. Jesus is even great. But if you really want to get there, if you really want to know, if you really want to be sure, well, you need this something extra. You need this little something more. And the problem is, all that really did is undermine the value of Jesus. Think of it like this. Imagine that your favorite band, your favorite group is coming to town in a couple of months and you find out about it early and you buy tickets and you're pumped. You're excited because, man, you got, you got in early and you got great seats right up front and you've been waiting to see them. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. And finally, you've been, the buildup comes and finally the day is here and you go to the ticket office and the guy says, ooh, you got some good seats. But if you want the full experience, well, we have these VIP passes that we don't advertise. And you know that this guy is just trying to upsell you. You know that these are going to cost a ridiculous amount of money. But what's going on in the back of your mind? What you had been so excited for just minutes before that For months, you'd been looking forward to this and you were excited about where you were going to sit and what you were going to hear and how close you were going to be. And now all of a sudden, you're thinking, but maybe my seats aren't really actually that great. Like, there's something better. Because what did he do? He undermined the value of your tickets, of your seats. That's what was happening in ancient Colossae, but not with concert tickets, with Jesus. These 
false teachers were going around telling people that, that if you wanted to be sure, really, really saved, if you wanted to be really, really a Christian, you needed this secret sauce that they were selling. And really, all it did was it undermined Jesus. That brings us to our first takeaway, right? We've been saying Jesus is everything. Well, what happens when you add something? Adding anything to Jesus lowers the value of what he has done. That's why Paul, throughout this book, throughout this letter, continually, repeatedly emphasizes the value, the importance, the truth, the reality that Jesus is everything. And he keeps making that argument. And so as we head towards the end of the book of Colossians, Paul's going to bring that full circle as he shows us what all of that means for our daily lives, how that impacts what we think and how we talk and how we act. And the reason he goes into the detail that we're going to see and he gives some lists of things is because if we're honest with ourselves, there's a temptation. And the temptation goes like this. Jesus is everything. Therefore, Jesus has forgiven everything. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. Or said a different way, I can do whatever I want. And the temptation is there to just indulge whatever vice we want, to go all in on whatever temptation, whatever craving that we have in the moment, because, well, Jesus is everything. Don't forgive it. And the Apostle Paul says, hold on a second, that's not what it means that Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything doesn't mean that you can go and do whatever you want because you're forgiven, which you are. But what it means that Jesus is everything is that I live for Jesus because he is everything. And that's what we see as Paul starts out these words from Colossians chapter 3. He says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Did you see how he starts these verses? Since, here's a result, right? Since you have been raised with Christ. So Paul goes back, pointing us back to, again, back to Jesus. Not a surprise, but he points us to what Jesus did, right? Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. He suffered what you deserve. Jesus rose from the dead three days later, to prove that he had conquered sin and death and the devil and to assure you that his victory is your victory. He ascended into heaven and he's ruling all things from the right hand of God, right? All things, that, that's what Jesus did, all of that. And you did it with him. That's kind of a big statement, isn't it? it it's some words that we heard Last week, 
from Colossians chapter 2, that where Paul said, having been raised or buried with Jesus, with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. There are some things in life that result in changing the way that you live, right? I would imagine that you know, getting a DUI probably means that you're going to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. It may mean that you never have a drink again. I would imagine that having a heart attack causes you to reevaluate. It changed the way you exercise, the way you eat, your diet, how you view life even. But, the, but death? Well, that's the big one, right? When someone close to you dies, it can feel like there is this, this emptiness, this brokenness in grief. But he doesn't actually say that someone close to you died. He said, you died. You died and you were buried with Jesus. In your baptism, you died. And he says, and now in verse 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in glory. Like that's a, that's a mind-blowing concept, isn't it? Let's understand what he's saying. He says, you died. That sinful part of us, when Jesus died, so did it. All of your sin died there on the cross on Calvary 2,000 years ago. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? And when something dies, when someone dies, it changes so many things. And he says, this changes you. Because not only did you die with Jesus through your baptism and you were buried with him, but you've been raised with him that he raised you from the dead to live a new life. That's a big, big point. And, and God wants us to understand that really clearly. And so it's our second takeaway this morning. That I died, I rose, and I have eternal life in Jesus. See, when you died, that part of you, that sinful part of you died on, with Jesus on the cross, what was raised to life then as God made you new, as he gave you this new life through baptism, is a new person, a new self, a new life, if you will. And it's a life that, on the surface, it doesn't look a whole lot different, does it? I mean, people look at you and they yeah, I'm not sure I can tell the difference between like a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, a couple decades ago when you weren't a Christian and now when you are. I don't always see a, a big stark contrast. I, I don't always see that you're so different than everybody else, which we would hope they would, but maybe they don't really see us who we really are. They don't see us the way that God does. And the reason is, as Paul says, that your life is hidden with Christ in glory. Who you really are, your, your true life, isn't the day-to-day -day breathing in and out. It's, it's what's leading up to eternity. That's your life. 
Like your life is really this thing that's hidden in Jesus. And it's this mysterious thing to some of us. Maybe sometimes we think of it that way. But, but understand that God sees exactly the way it is. And you notice in verse 4, he said, when Jesus is revealed, right? When Jesus comes back on Judgment Day, and the Bible tells us every eye will see him, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord. Do you know what else they're going to see? They're going to see you. They're going to see you the way that you truly are. Not just the coworker, not just the neighbor, not just the friend, not just the you know, person that we aren't, don't see eye to eye with because they cheer for the wrong team. They're going to see you the way God sees you. They're going to see you as a perfect and holy child of God because that's what God sees every time he looks at you. Now, you and I don't have the privilege of knowing when Jesus is coming back, and that's a good thing, actually. We might like to think we'd, we'd like to know, but, but honestly, this keeps us living always looking forward. In fact, that's what Paul tells us to do, right? To not get so caught up in the ways and the things of this world, but to keep our focus on what truly matters. To keep our hearts and our minds focused on things above, right? And that doesn't mean that you go out and you gaze up at the stars every night, although that's a cool thing to do. Nothing wrong with it. But he's not talking about like atmosphere or astronomy or planets or watching the Milky Way. He's talking about keeping your focus on God. Keeping your focus on the things that God says are important. Keeping your focus on who God has made you to be. It doesn't mean, though, that you get to check out of your responsibilities, right? If you don't show up for work or you do poor performance on your work and your boss goes, hey, what's going on? Oh, I was thinking about Jesus. That's not going to cut it, right? Keeping your hearts and your minds focused on Jesus, on God and the things above, that's not an excuse. Instead, it's actually the opposite. It's our, our motivation. It's our drive. It's our, our why, our reason for doing everything the way that we do it. Instead of getting so caught up in who gets elected and whether there's impeachment going on and what's going on in this country and this world crisis at the moment and, and this next thing. And it's totally okay to be involved in politics and social matters and by all means as a, as a Christian citizen, be involved. But don't let that just eat, eat at you. Don't let it throw you off that, oh, the world is coming into an end because so-and-so got elected or didn't get elected. This is going on or that's going on. God says, Keep the focus. Understand the big picture. See what's really happening because this is not what's really all about. He is. And your life with him is what it's truly all about. Keep the focus. Even as you get involved in the things of this world, always keep the goal of, of focus on God and his truth and making Jesus known to people who don't know him. That brings us to our third takeaway this morning, that God wants my life to be focused on what he says is important.
That's probably going to require some changes, though, isn't it? Because we don't natively do that. And here's, a, here's the thing to remember. The bigger the end result, the more you have to change. Let me give you some examples. If you decide if you aren't an exerciser, you're not a runner, you're not even a walker, and you decide, I want to sign up for a 5K at the end of the month, you could probably do that. If you get up today and you walk three blocks, and tomorrow you walk four, and the next day five, and the next day six, like you're not changing drastically your life. You're not, you're not out there pounding the pavement for hours. You're not altering your diet. You're not taking supplements. You're just getting up and moving, and in probably a month, if you start moving a mile a day, you could do a 5K. You could finish a 5K doesn't require a lot of change because the end result, it's not huge. I say this as someone who's never done a 5K. But what if you wanted something bigger? What if you wanted to not only finish, but you wanted to win an ultra marathon, 50 miles, and you wanted to come in number one? Well, that's going to require some dedication, isn't it? It's going to require steady running and building up your runs every day, every week. It's going to require some serious commitment to be out running long on your day off. It's going to require rest and the, the right amounts of rest and sleep. It's going to require eating correctly and fueling with the right foods. Like it's going to require significant change because the end goal, the end result is big. Or think of it like buying something. You want to go buy a new TV? Well, as long as it's not like a 4K 95-incher, they really only cost a couple hundred bucks, right? And, and you could probably find enough money out of a paycheck or three to be able to, to come up with a couple hundred bucks to, to get a TV. That doesn't require a lot of change. But if you want to buy a house... That's going to require some reevaluating of priorities, right? It's going to require looking at the budget and saying, you know what, this isn't as important as the house. And I'm willing to forego eating out if we get to live here. And, and I'd rather do this, have this, than do this. And, and it changes the way you live. It changes the way you spend because the end result is big. Well, the end result that God has for you, dear Christian, is huge. It's huge. It's something that God actually says, like, the best one second of your life doesn't even hold a candle compared to the sun of heaven. Like, heaven is so much better, and it's forever. It's so great. The end result is so good. But that means that it's going to need some change. Like, that's where I want to be, and I want my life every day to reflect that. But that means it's, some things are going to have to change. And that means reevaluating how you spend your weekends so that you make this a priority, and you have, you're here. But that that's like a, a, non, 
a non-starter, right? A non-negotiable. We're Sunday. This is what we do. And not just Sunday, but, but I want to, to keep my heart and mind focused on, on God, on his things. And that means that I need, I need a boost throughout the week. I need to hear God's word to keep me going, to keep me focused on him. I need to go to him in prayer and, and lay out all of my baggage and all of my fears and my worries. I need to do that because I want to keep my heart focused on him because I'm looking forward to the life that I have with him forever. It means that I need to, to reevaluate maybe my spending, my budget, and, and reprioritize, you know what, God has done everything for me. He's given me everything. Every single thing in my life is really a gift from God. And I've said I want to give this percentage back to him, but I haven't been very careful about that because it's just easy not to. It's easier to, to live for me and give God this at the end. And so maybe it requires sitting down and saying, you know what, this end result, this gift back to God that, that shares the gospel message of Jesus with more people through the work of my church here and around the world and the ministry efforts we've got going, that is worth, I would rather have somebody else know about Jesus because of my gift, because of the work of my church than go out to dinner one more time. It requires some reprioritization. It requires some change in the way that I think and the way that I act and what I say so that as I, I interact with people around me, that my thoughts aren't condescending or judgmental, so that my words aren't bitter or hurtful, so that my actions that they show kindness and compassion and mercy because that's who God has made you and me to be. That's how he wants us to live. It's not easy. It's not natural. It's not native to us, but it's who we are now as, as Christians. It's what God has called us to be and to do. And it's going to require a little work to bring about that change, but it's worth it because the end result it's worth it. It's good. And that's why then Paul goes into some detail. In the second half of our text, which we're about to read, he gives some lists. Some lists of things that he's pretty honest about. Lists of things that he wants us to understand. These don't belong in our lives and we need to get serious about change for our lives. Let's take a look. Beginning at verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. 
There's some honesty and reality in those words, isn't there? I mean, maybe a little makes us a little bit uncomfortable because Paul says, hey, I, I get it. I was there and I know that you were as well. You used to live this way. You used to walk in this, giving in to whatever your desire, whatever your impulse was in the moment, living for yourself. That's how we're all born into this world. But that's not who you are anymore. Those desires, those impulses, those urges, they don't rule you. They don't define and describe who you are as a child of God, as a Christian. That's different because that died. That you went and was buried with Christ. It died. And now you've been raised and you live this new life, this life that gives glory to God. So get rid of all this stuff. Take it off. Throw it away. Watch out for it. Fight against those temptations. It's not going to be easy, but, but there is strength to do it. And it's not internal. It's heavenly. It's spiritual. It's God. So trust him. Look to him. Turn to him for strength, for help. And then Paul uses a picture that we understand, don't we? Right? This taking off of, of clothes, taking off of a coat, right? Get rid of it. He says, you've already taken off that old way of life. That's not who you are anymore. You took it off when you died. And then you were raised and given this new life in your baptism. Put that on every single day, right? We sang that in our family song. Did you catch it? Let us daily die to sin. Let us daily rise with him. That every day I start off by saying, Lord, you have made me to be this child of yours. You've given me this inheritance. You've forgiven and washed me of all my sins. So, Lord, forgive me for this and this temptation and this desire and this passion that I, I failed. And forgive me for struggling against this but not seeing it through. And know that he does. And then put on, right? That is putting on that new self, being raised up with him, this new life that, that fights temptation, that trusts and clings to him for help, for forgiveness. And in case you think that this really only applies to certain people, you're wrong. In case, in case you think, though, well, yeah, but I'm new at this Christianity thing, or, you know, that's really just mainly for people who've been Christians their whole lives, or pastors, they should do better. Or, you know, that there's somehow some other category that I can, I can slip through the cracks, and it doesn't really apply to me the way it does to everybody else. And Paul says, no, that's not actually the case. And he gives another list, doesn't he? And it's a list of people that God calls to be his own, to be his children through the power of his word. It's a list of people that died with Christ and were raised to life with him through their baptism. And it's a list of, of nationalities, right, of races, Gentile or Jew, that really covers everybody in the ancient world, still does today. It covers cultures, traditions, circumcised or uncircumcised. It covers, uh, it covers status, barbarian. Like those were the, whew, they're on the rough edges of society. Scythian, that was the barbarian's barbarian. <laughs> like those were the people that you weren't always sure they were people. 
I, I read one commentator who described him as the wild man of the forest. Like, whew, they're out there. And yet, what does God say? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how fitting or unfitting you think this is. Doesn't matter whether you think this applies to you or not. If you're, in, if you're a person, this applies to you. If you're a Christian, this applies to you. And you know why? Because look what he says at the end. Because Christ is all and is in all. Or, to say it another way, it's our last takeaway this morning. That Jesus is everything for my life. See, this is who God has made you and me to be. Because he's done everything. And he wants us to live in that beauty. To know that our life is with him. That the things of this world don't define us. That our failures and mistakes, he doesn't even see them because they're washed in the blood of Christ. And you have been made new in him. Live as that child of God. Put on that new self that fights temptation, that trusts in him, that knows that all of your past is the past and is wiped away. So keep your hearts and your minds focused on the things above. I pray that this study through the book of Colossians, has made beautifully clear for you that Jesus is everything. Amen.